0: Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to
1: come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, this past week, Jason preached the AM sermon, and he took us really through four of the Psalms. They were all together psalms 14 15 16 and 17 and you called it the mountain range and you look at different mountains not like mount sinai or mount right. nebo but but principles from those four chapters and it was very fitting for the week and the times we're in right now so why don't you just kind of recap that for us sure i appreciate that i'll uh i'll pull the curtain back a little, and just uh,
0: for the sake of transparency, maybe a a fellow preacher or two is listening, and this will make them feel good. I really struggled. Um, I'm always encouraged when I hear that I'm not the only one who struggles here and there. Uh, Roger, just in private conversation, I had mentioned to you that uh, this, this was my sermon idea for this coming Sunday morning. It turned out to be something completely and totally different than what I was planning. Primarily because I, just as the week unfolded, really struggled with this balance of there is a lot going on in the world, you know in one sense we've we've said that a lot over the course of the last two years, uh, but never in my lifetime has there been such a a military threat as there seems to be right now uh, on the other side of the globe in the the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, I mean, this is the sort of stuff I I love history like you. This is the sort of stuff that I have read about in history books. And uh, it just seems like in a lot of ways, uh, there's a potential tinderbox just sitting there in uh, the far reaches of Eastern Europe. We don't know what's going to happen. Of course, there's a lot of praying going on, and we'll talk more about that in, in a little while. But the more that I tried to craft this uh, Sunday morning sermon, uh, the more I felt like, well, I can't just get up and and act as if nothing is going on on the other side of the globe. This is what's on the mind of pretty much everybody. And, um, I, I try to be sensitive. Maybe you can speak to this as well, Roger. Of you know, we don't want to just be pinballs bouncing off of what's going on in the news. Sunday morning doesn't need to be a preacher's commentary on the last week's news. But we also need to be sensitive and aware to what's going on in the world around us and what's on the mind of people. So if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, I'll come
1: back to the sermon in a minute. But do you ever feel that tension? All the time, all the time. And <laughs> and I remember preaching right after 9-11. Yeah. and. I mean you could go on and pretend nothing's ever happened and but you know fear and worry and concern is in the hearts of everybody it's 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 the conversations that dominated those few weeks and so there are times to do that. Uh, long ago, uh, preachers used to say that a uh, preacher needs to have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Well, mm-hmm. you've got to be careful about that yeah. because, like you said, we're not, we're not the nightly news. We're not uh, commentaries on every little thing that happens. But this is a world event, and people are throwing out the phrase World War III and, you know, growing up, being the son of a, a father who was in World War II, and I talked to him multiple times about, you know, what happened. And he was in high school when, when everything happened at Pearl Harbor. It, those are huge events, huge events. And as you said, we don't know where this is going to end yet. We don't know if it's going to get better or get worse. But it's on the hearts of people and to ignore it, I think, is 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 not being right. People need to turn to God's Word. We see that throughout the times, you know, when the people of God were in Egyptian captivity. They, they were crying to God, and so there are times when our heart's are going to reach out to God because we live in troublesome times as that hymn begins. Yeah, yeah. So um,
0: long story short, lots of struggles last week, and Uh, I have, by God's grace and with the patience of a lot of people, been doing this long enough that I have learned when you don't know where to land or what to fall back on, lean on, uh, maybe the best thing is what you've been reading most recently. And one of the things that I love about our church family and uh, our approach to Bible reading is everybody's invited. We often reference what's going on in our Bible reading. It's woven into our Sunday mornings uh, from the very beginning of our time together. So I just went back and the Sunday before we had read Psalm 14, the Wednesday before Psalm 15. That morning, one of our shepherds got up and read Psalm 16. And then today's scheduled Bible reading was Psalm 17. And I just got out my notebook and I read these Psalms. I uh, then actually listened to them being read just to really kind of get the flow and the big idea in my mind. And I just started jotting down some ideas and I thought, well, it, it, You can't hardly improve on what's here. And so I leaned on these four Psalms, compared it to a mountain range, and in Psalm 14, I called it Mount Foolishness, Psalm 15, Mount Steadfastness, Psalm 16, Mount
1: Fullness, and Psalm 17, Mount Prayer. So let's go back through, and, and if you haven't had a chance, it's a it's a wonderful sermon. It's on our website. You can listen to it, or you can watch it. And I, I would definitely think in the times that we're in, it would be helpful for every person to go back through and to listen to it again. But let's go back, and I particularly like that first mountain, Mount Foolishness. I haven't really thought about in that in that way. And let's just kind of add some layers to this and talk about that concept just a little bit. And one of the first things that comes to my mind is, why is there such an attraction to foolishness? Yeah, yeah. so
0: we hear in verse 1, the fool, and we'll talk more about him in a moment, but You read the fool or foolishness a lot in Psalms, and especially the book that comes afterwards, Proverbs. And in Proverbs, it really is describing someone who just acts without thinking consistently. He talks before he thinks. She reacts without thinking about what she's doing. In the Psalms, It's a little more targeted and biting at... Uh, the fool who acts as if God isn't there. There is no God. And I, I think that factors into the possible attraction because if there is no God, well, there's nobody who is going to tell me what to do. Uh, if there is no God, there's no accountability. I can do what I want to do. Who's to tell me it's wrong? And who's going to hold me accountable
1: for what I've done? And so this person's very, we may say materialistic, not not so much necessarily he's grabbing everything his hands on, but he's earthbound, and he has no sense of the eternal within him, and so he's not a lot different than an animal; he's just living for today, and he doesn't have much concept. So when that chapter fourteen begins, the fool said in his heart, "There is no God." That word fool in Hebrew is Nabal or Nabal, and that reminds us of somebody in the book of 1 Samuel. Yeah. Nabal was married to Abigail. She described her husband as a fool. He was living up to his name. <laughs> he was. He really was. And, and so the word fool is the strongest word God ever uses in the Bible, We remember in Luke 12, the story about the man who had all these barns. He's going to tear down barns and build larger barns. And that night, his soul was required of him. And there the text says, you fool. That's the strongest word God uses. And so why is this person a fool? Yeah,
0: I any time you're preaching a sermon, preparing, uh, there are always things that have to be left on the cutting room floor. And I would have loved a little more time to explore a, a phrase in Psalm 17 that I think perfectly answers your question. It's, it's in this section where David is grappling with, well, uh, sometimes there are foolish, wicked, evil people that sure do seem to be living the good life and he describes them in psalm 17 as men of the world whose portion is in this life and i the more you reflect on that i the the more powerful i think that description is N- number 1 they're men of this world they have hearts anchored in this world their minds are set on this world, and they might have a spectacular portion like that builder in Luke's gospel, the parable of Jesus. I mean, he's built barns, now he needs bigger barns, and he's just filling them all up. He's living the good life from the standpoint of a lot of people, but his portion, what he has to sustain himself on, what what, what he is laying up for is just In this life, and Jesus describes him as
1: not being rich toward God. And and I'd add to that this person is a fool because he's ignoring the external evidence for God. Uh, You you don't have to be a a master of biblical language. All around us is God. Uh, That's a point Paul made to the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1. They knew God, but they did not acknowledge him as God because his His attributes was everywhere. And so we see winter turning to spring. We think, see things popping out of the ground. And all these, these are signs and evidence of God. And so the fool... He doesn't see that. He just sees this, and he doesn't look beyond the natural standpoint of life and never considers the eternal. Psalm 14 moves from there that, okay, if that's the way I'm looking at the world,
0: I find it very easy to embrace corruption, abominable deeds. If there is no God, if all that there is is just the stuff right here within my grasp in the world, well, why not? take as much as i can get even if it involves
1: hurting other people of course uh, the greater evidence is going to be the internal biblical evidence yeah and whether we talk about the unity of the bible the fulfillment of prophecy over and over there's just evidence after evidence after evidence that there is god and god's fingers are all over the bible and modern man who who has no heart for god will say that the bible is nothing more than than a collection of stories written by others a long time ago and somebody just put them together some some Bobby was an editor, and he just pulled all these stories together, called it God's Word, and printed it, and there it is. And how would you answer that? Well, (laughs) that's,
0: uh, I mean, volumes have been written on that whole thing. One of the things that really helps me, and I've tried to use to to help others, is the incredible amount of prophecy that had been not only preserved for hundreds of years, but even translated into other languages before Jesus ever steps on the scene. And it sure does seem to me that's the approach that the apostles take, especially with people who have some awareness of the nature of Scripture that, listen, hundreds of years Years before he stepped on the scene, this is what was said of him. Look
1: at how
0: it is fulfilled in Jesus the Christ.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when, when uh, modern, especially in the universities, they love to the trump the Bible and just say that this is nothing more than a book written by man. Uh, how come there's no other book just like it? Yeah. There's no other book like it. And you'd think if somebody wrote one, he could somebody could write something real similar, and they cannot do that. And there's, there's evidence, there's things the Bible talks about that was not known at that time. How did somebody write those things when nobody else knew about them? There's just all kinds of reasons for someone to accept the Bible as it is. Now, Psalms 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He says that, but that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. Yeah. That doesn't mean if I say that enough times, God's going to go away. God is still there, even though he's closed his eyes to those things. You know, it reminds me of a a little toddler that puts
0: a blanket over their head, acting as if the adults in the room can't see them, right? (laughs) The fool may say there is no God, but you skip five verses down, and we read... But the Lord, and I mean that's that's the answer of Scripture, right? I've got the opportunity, the free will for a little while to
1: ignore Him, but that does not make Him go away. Absolutely. Well, let's let's move to another mountain you talked about, uh, Psalm sixteen, called the Mount Fullness, and in that you make the statement, uh, "I can see what the good life isn't." Yes. And so, what is the good life? Who defines it, and what isn 't it
0: yeah, so it 's not psalm sixteen three The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply uh, it 's the it 's reminding us, okay, we have all of these options, all of these different ways of looking at the world. And the good life is not leaving God out of the picture. I, I leaned on the word fullness because of how Psalm 16 ends. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What, what we're being pointed to is life the way it was meant to be. And when we take God at his word, I I would offer maybe Psalm 63 as a good companion to this, where David also here in the wilderness is is saying to God in verse 1, you are my God, earnestly I seek for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And what does he find? Your steadfast love is better than life. So what's the good life? It is acknowledging God. It's submitting to God. It is allowing God to do what he's promising to do in my life, building my life on his word. And what I find is love and joy and peace
1: and hope. That's the good life. You know, Jesus said in John ten ten, he came to give life and give it abundantly. Yeah. And that doesn't start when we get to heaven. That starts now when we're in the Lord. And that comes from forgiveness and having a purpose and a relationship with him. So it's God who determines what the good life is. You know, sometimes we see some of these commercials on TV, and we get the idea, boy, you know, the way they present it, that's the good life. But uh, so much of that is involving immoral and sinful activities, and that is not the good life. It never will be. Now, in that section in Psalm 16, you read verse 8, where it says, I have set the Lord continually before me. And that made me think of Colossians 3 2, where it says, set your mind yeah. on things above. What does it mean to set? Yeah. So
0: here in, what is it? Uh, just a couple few days. Uh, let's see, a week and a half, I think it is. Uh, our clocks are going to be set, uh, an hour forward, right? With the, the change in daylight saving time. And of course, today, um, I'm, uh, old enough where I remember, of course, still having to manually change all of the clocks in the house. My girls, really, that to them is a pretty foreign idea. It just happens on <laughs> so many devices around us. But uh, if you've ever done that, you know, okay, uh, before you go to bed, maybe you're laying down at 10 o'clock p.m. on Saturday night, March the 12th. But uh, before you do that, you change the clock in the house to 11 o'clock p.m. because you're losing an hour that night. You're, you're setting it according to a standard that is changing overnight. And I mean, that's so much of Psalm 16 is about that. He says in the, the verse before, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. So, OK, God has the right as my creator to give me counsel, to give me instructions, to warn me and admonish me. He he has every right as my creator to make impressions on my conscience so that in the night, my heart is instructed. It It really just involves listening to God, setting him before me by opening my heart to his word, setting him before me by praying, by worshiping him. He knows what he's
1: doing by telling us to do these things. It kind of is a maritime maritime type of term. And so ancient sailors not having GPS and navigation like we do, they'd set their course by the stars. Mm -hmm. And as long as they stayed on that path – They're going to make their destination. If they deviated from that, said, look, here's a brighter star. Let's go chase that one a while. Over here's a planet. Let's go follow that a while. Who knows where they would wind up? And so that's the idea. We've got our eyes set on the Lord. And if we stay on that course, it's going to lead us straight to heaven. But before we get there, it's going to lead us through the life, the character, and the hope that God wants us to have. So setting that's a choice we make and that's something that makes all the difference in the world. you know I I almost ended
0: the sermon uh, in in prep with Psalm 16 but I as I was looking ahead to actually today's reading, Psalm 17 seemed to be the most natural way to end it because okay, 14 acknowledges the foolishness, 15 shows us the stable ground, 16 reminds us of what the good life is, but then chapter 17 reminds us to pray. And I'm I'm afraid, Roger, maybe you can speak to this, that a lot of times we gather together on Sundays and we rejoice in the fullness of God, and then we leave and we just live in our own
1: wisdom and our own power. And we forget to invite the lord into our lives we forget to seek his help and his guidance and that leads us to all kinds of trouble absolutely so let me just tease here a little of course if
0: you haven't read psalm 17 i would certainly encourage you to do that if you're a member of our church family that's our scheduled reading but roger we're in a brand new month of course we've got four fridays in the month of march and we're actually just going to dig a little deeper into prayer. I loved your suggestion to call this series, our Fridays in March series, based on Romans eight twenty six.
1: We Do Not Know What to Pray As We Should. Yes, and so oftentimes uh, you'll hear we preachers saying, pray about it, and we write that little thing down on our note card, and I'm supposed to pray, and we go home. What am I supposed to pray about? And when we look at troublesome times like we're in now, what should I pray? And so we're going to be looking at several layers of some things in the Old Testament, New Testament, to talk about what we should be praying about.
0: We'll kick that off, Lord willing, this coming Friday, and we would love for you to participate in that right along with us. Now, Roger, of course, this evening we're looking forward to Bible classes. You're going to be in the auditorium with our adults.
1: Yes, and we're doing the series, The Teacher Jesus And we're going to look at the image of the kingdom that Jesus presents to us, particularly in the parables and what Jesus has to say about the kingdom. The kingdom was a major thread in all his teaching. So we're going to take a look at that. Our Building Blocks track of studies throughout
0: the month of February has been exploring how does God communicate with us. We've actually got our final lesson in that series for tonight. We've looked at creation and the Bible and our church family. This evening we're going to talk about those consciences that I was referencing just a minute ago. How does God shape and use our consciences to keep us on This path of life. Lord willing, Roger, this coming Sunday morning,
1: you've got the opportunity to preach. I do. And you took us to mountaintops last Sunday. So I'm going to go the opposite. We're going to talk about the view from the valley. All right. And there's a lot of valley periods right now in our world. So we're going to look at some of that. Absolutely.
0: Sunday evening, Lord willing, at 5 o'clock p.m. I'm going to bring us back to our theme for the year. This quarter, in a variety of ways, we've been talking about. Abiding in God's Word. I'm going to look at that word, abide, as it's used in 1 John, and there are some powerful, powerful lessons Preserved there for us. But Roger, we've, we've done enough talking for this episode. I appreciate you joining me today. I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to look back and reflect on that sermon. Um, I did a fair amount of wrestling with it, but it's been encouraging to hear, uh, how it was an encouragement to others. All of you are an encouragement to us and we appreciate you listening. Uh, even to this episode this week at charlestown road we would love to see you this evening at seven o'clock p.m we're already looking forward to sunday the best day of the week and we would love to have you come and grow with us